Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> chapter 12. In 1944, as World War II was starting to wind down, there was a coup in the country of Romania that was led by the former king of Romania. And the government of Romania had thrown its lot with the Nazis during World War II, and so the coup overthrew that uh, Nazi sympathizer government and really welcomed the approaching Soviet army. And in short order, there, was a, there were a million Soviet troops in Romania uh, inside of a year by the time World War II was ended, the communists had entrenched themselves in a, a new government in Romania, new regime. And during that year, they invited um, uh, clergy from all over Romania to come to Bucharest to, uh, for what they call the Congress of the Cults. Now, there were about 4,000 uh, delegates that came. There were pastors and priests and prelates and bishops. And supposedly, um, it was to kind of create a, a harmony between the churches and this new communist regime, but really everybody knew the purpose was to get all these religious leaders to applaud the new regime. And so one after another of these clergy stood to their feet that day and uh, rejoiced in the new government, not only promising that they wouldn't try to overthrow it, but that they were going to be behind it. And, and it was the kind of thing, if you, if, and I know there's not a lot of communist countries left these days. We don't care as much about it as we did when I was, you know, in my teens and 20s. But communism is, is not only, we always talked about it being atheistic. It's not just atheistic. It's anti-theistic. They're against people worshiping God. It's not just like, they don't believe in God, you can, you're not supposed to either. And so the expectation that day was that all these people were, were going to give the kind of accolades to the government that really should be reserved for God. And there were some that day were very upset about what was happening. And there was a pastor's wife who leaned over, pinched her husband's elbow, and she said, stand up and wipe that shame off of Christ's face. To which he replied, if I do, you'll lose your husband. And she replied, I don't wish to have a coward for a husband. And so Richard Wormbrand stood up that day, denounced all that was taking place. And he said to all those pastors that have stood up, he said, our duty as Christians is to glorify God and Christ alone. Not only did the 4,000 delegates hear it that day, not only did the leaders of the new government hear it that day, but the government leaders had made the bad choice to broadcast this live across the whole country. And everybody in Romania heard it that day. That made Richard Wimbrand a marked man. And in short order, he was snatched off the streets, a bag put over his head, and he spent 14 years in communist prisons Horrific, horrific torture to his back, to his feet. He was eventually um, ransomed by some Christians in Norway, came to the United States and in 1966 
testified before the United States Congress, and they asked him to take his shirt off to show the marks from the rods and the knives and the hot coals where he had been tortured. Um, some of you know that organization that he started, Voice of the Martyrs, uh, is coming out with a movie on his life. Uh, he wrote a book in 67 called Torture for Christ, and now 50 years later they're making a movie out of it. It's going to be here in Lancaster March 5th, one day only. And if you're interested in going to see it, um, there's contact information on where to get tickets on the uh, on Keystone Church's uh, Facebook page. I put that on last night. Also a trailer about that. I just thought about that in light of the verses we're about to read this morning, what kind of courage it took to speak up for Jesus in, a, in an environment like that where the expectation was that you're going to speak up instead for something substituting for Jesus. Luke chapter 12, our verse, verses this morning are 8 and 9. Jesus is speaking, he says, and he was speaking here primarily to his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man, speaking about himself, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. He's looking ahead to the final day. Let's pray, and then we want to talk about this. Father, we pray for ourselves for much boldness to speak on behalf of Christ. Even when it's dangerous, even when it could mean ridicule and loss of respect, part of other people. We don't face the kind of opposition that brothers and sisters do in some countries around the world. We're probably not going to lose a job or lose the prospect of a job. We're probably not, not going to be cut off by our families. We're probably not going to lose access to food. We're probably not going to be imprisoned or tortured or even face the possibility of being executed. I do wonder sometimes if it isn't harder when the only threat is simply ridicule. When it's imprisonment or death It's black and white. It's stand with Jesus or die. And yet when it's just ridicule or it's just being mocked, it's being faced with possibly losing some friendships. It's so gray. Is it really wrong not to speak up? We want you to speak to us during these moments and for us not to hear the enemy who says it's not that important. And I pray that our hearts would be pliable for anything you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. There is in these two short verses a warning 
and an unwavering promise. And we're going to start with a warning first, so let's look at verse 9. The warning here is Jesus saying, I will deny those who deny me. I will deny those who deny me. Now that's true from the, out, uh, from the onset of faith. That there is an expectation that Jesus has that we will speak up for him. Let me have you look at Romans chapter 9, I'm sorry, chapter 10 for just a minute. Some of you have this memorized as a formula for salvation. And really that's what Paul says about it. Romans 10, 9 and 10. <clears throat> if you openly de- declare, and many of your translations will simply say, if you confess with your mouth, I think that's what the NIV says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. In other words, from the, from the onset of faith, from the time when you say, yes, I'm going to turn and repent of my sins and put my faith in Christ, the expectation is that we declare this openly. This is what we ask of people when we baptize them. Baptism is, is that first publicly declar- public declaration that we are now followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's not, it's not something that Jesus would look to us and say, it's okay if you keep that quiet. Well, these days, in America anyway, probably much more true, this, this is probably much more true in America than anywhere else on the planet. But people look at, at faith and say, this is a private thing. This is not something that we should be talking about publicly. We don't talk about religion and we don't talk about politics because we just get into quarrels and fights. And yet the scriptures just, the scriptures don't describe or depict faith in such a silent manner. From the very outset of faith, we're expected to speak about Jesus. We're expected to talk about him, to have him on our lips. Let me take you to another scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a this is an interesting passage, one that's provided uh, so much reassurance to me over the years. And it makes a distinction between the perfect follower of Jesus and one who's not a follower of Jesus, but perhaps depicts himself or herself in that way. 2 Timothy uh, 2, beginning verse 12, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. And here's the part that is echoing what Jesus says in our passage today. If we deny him... He will deny us. That just sounds like, wow, it's an all or nothing thing. It's a black or white thing. And then we move into some gray that gives me some reassurance. Verse 13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. In other words, Jesus is saying, you and I are going to, we're going to mess up. We're going, there's going to be times that we're unfaithful, but Jesus And our faith rests on him, not on ourselves, right? Jesus is always going to be faithful even when we are faithless. Now that to me, those words, um, one saying, if you're going to deny me, I'll deny you. And the other one say, if you're going to be unfaithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. 
That, to me, brings to mind the strange case in the scriptures of the apostle Peter. What, what about Peter when he's talking with Jesus about how he's going to support him? He'll go to prison if necessary for him. He'll die for him if necessary. And Jesus, remember this, on the night before he was arrested, night when he was arrested, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. What? what? And Peter did. What's that mean? Is that the same kind of denial that Jesus is talking about here? If you don't speak up for me, if you don't defend me, if you don't say you know me, that you are under my condemnation, I'm going to deny you one day. We're going to get back to that in a minute. But I want to shift to verse 8 here and the unwavering promise that Jesus gives to his own. That if anybody acknowledges him publicly, note that word, acknowledges Jesus publicly here on earth, Jesus will also acknowledge them in the presence of God's angels. That's going to be public in a future age. Jesus is saying, I'm going to claim all those who claim me. And the marvelous thing about that is that doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter how close to the end of your life you name Christ. One of the most fascinating parts of the story of Christ's death is about the two criminals that were executed on either side of him. Amazing story. I know we used to always say the thief on the cross. The Bible doesn't say thief. The NLT translates the word there as revolutionary. And so let's just assume uh, that it is somebody, that these men were rebels against Rome. So they're executed to Jesus left and right. And if you only read the accounts in Matthew and Mark, all that you know is that the, both of these men mock Jesus as they're hanging on the cross. But something different happens or is included in the story in the book of Luke. So Matthew and Mark, apparently at some point, both men are mocking Jesus. They're ridiculing him. What, you know, why, are you, why did you let them do this to you? You could have simply said what they wanted to say, making fun of Jesus. Get to Luke. Let me have you look at this. Luke chapter 23. Apparently, as time wears on on the cross, one of these men has a change of heart. Verse 31 starts. Uh, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Don't you love that? Final hour of his life, final two hours of his life. No, no sinner's prayer prayed here, right? No formulaic, I have to say it this way or I'm not saved. He's just like, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're going to be with me in paradise today. No opportunity for this man to do good works. No opportunity for him to make restitution about the bad works that he's done. 
the people that he's hurt and wronged down through the, the years of his life. No opportunity to go back to Rome and say, I, I'm sorry, I kind of organized that rebellion against you. Final hours, remember me. All who claim me, I will claim before God's angels in heaven. As we said, faith begins by identifying with Jesus. In other words, from the earliest days when you say, uh, I've turned in faith to Christ, that baptismal day as you shared your testimony, in the subsequent years that you have lived as a servant of Christ, spoken up, you've spoken up for Jesus. My guess is that if I asked you, though, all of us would say, all of us who know Christ would say there was a day when I had a chance, they were making fun of a Christian in my presence, they were mocking Christianity in my presence, there was a golden opportunity for me to speak about Jesus to somebody that doesn't know Christ, I passed on that opportunity, that all of us would say we've had times, we've had moments, we've had days when we have not spoken up for Jesus when we knew we should. So does that mean that Jesus is going to one day deny us? Faith begins with identifying with Jesus, and the life of faith should be carried out identifying with Jesus. What about those days? Again, if I asked you, how many of you have been in a college classroom where faith was made fun of, how many of you would say yes? How many of you have been with peers, especially in maybe your school years, where they're making fun of Christians or they're saying, I can't believe people still think in this sophisticated age that there's a man, a Santa Claus in the atmosphere somewhere. Or that there was this person named Jesus. Maybe he did live, but surely he wasn't the son of God. Who believes that anymore? I think what Jesus is talking about is the kind of extreme times like Peter faced. When Jesus was being interrogated in in the high priest's house, and Peter's out in the courtyard, and people say, you're with him, right? You have a Galilean accent. You, you must be one of Jesus' followers. No, I'm, I'm not. Oh, you have to be. No, I'm not. And finally, he swears in his attempt to convince his questioners that he's not a follower of Jesus. I, I, I do think none of us here are threatened with imprisonment, execution, torture because we stand for Jesus. Praise God. And I hope it never comes, but I think it will. And I think that you and I are getting practice exams these days when our faith is nothing more than mocked. It's training ground for the potential day when that comes to our shores. I don't see it happening in the next 10 years, but it could in the next 10 to 20.
What are we going to decide to do? Now, to me, Peter's story provides great hope for us. Let me take you back to Luke again, late Luke, Luke chapter 22. This is where Jesus has the last supper with his disciples, the first communion celebration, and that final Passover. Chapter 22, beginning at 31. Simon, Simon, Peter's other name. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. That's a reminder that everything Satan does in your life, he has to get permission for. And he has to get permission for from the one who loves you with an everlasting love. Has to run through the Father's hands who gave his son to die for you. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. Now, hang your hat on that. That your faith should not fail. What I mean is, I think he's saying, Peter has faith now, and he's going to have faith again, and I'm praying that your faith won't fail But after you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus knows what lies ahead. And he knows that Peter's going to stumble, but he's not going to lose his faith. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. Jesus said, no, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Here's what I get out of this. Occasional denials do not checkmate grace. The fact that you have stumbled and the fact that I have stumbled and I have stumbled, that doesn't checkmate God's grace for men and women and boys and girls of faith. I think rather Jesus is speaking about in these verses in Luke 12, he's speaking about those whose lives are marked by denial. That's just who they are. This was not who Peter was. For a moment, he was like somebody else. But it wasn't an accurate representation of his faith. Occasional denials do not checkmate grace. And so some of you, in your mind, as we hear Jesus' words, are going back and you're thinking about that time that one of your friends made fun of that Christian girl in your junior class in high school and you said nothing. Or you're thinking about the time in a family gathering where someone is saying, I can't believe that anybody in this day and age actually believes that we're sinners that we're bad people. We're not. We're good people. And of course, that's an undercutting of Jesus, who he is and what his mission was. And you didn't say anything. All of us could go back to some of those times, I'm convinced, and there's great guilt there. May Jesus pour a lot of grace on that today. 
because he has died not only to intercede for you for a once and for all spot in heaven but he died to intercede for you day in and day out day in day out day in day out listen to the words of Hebrews 7 Hebrews 7 first, uh, verses 24 and 5 but because Jesus lives forever his priesthood lasts forever. What's, uh, what's priesthood mean? Well, a priest is someone who mediates between God and people. So he's able to mediate. He's able to be a go-between between God and people and to do it forever. Because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. And he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And Jesus interceded for you this week. Didn't he? Did you sin this week? At all? Then he interceded for you. And, G- and God's looking down and he's like, he messed up again. She messed up again. Keith messed up again. And Jesus looks over at his father, and he doesn't say, well, but Keith's a pastor, so you've got to give him a pass. He looks over to the father and said, no, he's one of mine. I died for him. He's mine. He lives forever to intercede for us. You see, when Jesus' cross was stood up, he stood up for you, and he stands up for you day in and day out. Now, I don't want to miss the warning, though, in these verses. We can't miss that warning. And if your life is marked by denial, 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 ask yourself some hard questions. What I discovered a couple weeks ago about this um, Torture for Christ movie coming out, I was intrigued with a quote from Richard Wormbrand that they're using to advertise that movie. Went home to Betty that night. I'm like, man, that is, that is so soul-searing. This is what he says. A man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things he is willing to die for. A man re- really believes. In other words, we can say... Um, like when I was getting examined for ordination, I had to put together a 40-page paper. This is what I believe. But what we really believe is the stuff that we stand on when push comes to shove. When the enemy and all of his advocates try to knock us down and say, there's a cost to this, that's when we find out what we really believe. A man really believes not what he recites in his creed, but only the things he is willing to die for. And there are literally millions of our brothers and sisters around the world who must face that question. Am I willing to die for Jesus? All we have to wrestle with is, am I willing to speak up for Jesus? And ask ourselves the question, 
will I this week? I don't have to worry about next week. Will I this week? And some of us are going to get that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for a Savior who stood up for us while we were yet sinners. There was no contract. There was no arrangement, no agreement at that point. It was all potential. I'm going to die. I'm just going to go ahead and do it so that if you want to be reconciled with the Father, I've already paid the price for it. So that if you want eternal life, I've already paid the price. So that if you want to be transformed, I've already done the work so that you can be. Thanks for his faithfulness. I pray for that kind of faithfulness for me and for my brothers and sisters. This week, the test might come in a college professor's derogatory comments, and I have to decide whether or not I'm going to risk losing the credibility of some of my classmates. It might come around um, that lunch hour with the other people at my workplace and we're all sitting around and, and the topic turns to faith. And everybody there thinks it's a joke. And I have to decide whether or not I'm going to endorse the joke with my silence or disrupt it with my words. It might be with the classmates in high school. And I'm going to have to decide whether or not I keep that position of coolness or I stand with Jesus. Not in an obnoxious, arrogant way. A simple recounting of faith. He is my Lord, died for me. I will speak for him. And for the day that perhaps is in our future, perhaps decades down the road, but a time when it, the consequences of vocalizing our faith in Christ become more severe. Prepare us well in these days so that we, we might stand in a, in, in a way that inspires and motivates and challenges our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our colleagues at work and the people that we play golf with that all would know, yeah, we really do believe these things. We really are willing to die for them.